Welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the senior pastor here at Life, not Life Point. That was a, <laughs> wow. That was a church that I worked at back in 2003 to 2011. Wow. Anyways. I am the senior pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon. We are um, continuing through a series on the Psalms. Now, we're not hitting all the Psalms, but uh, I've chosen 10 or 11 of them to, uh, to highlight and to study, to see what we can learn from them. And I got to tell you that this has been very refreshing for me as a pastor to do uh, study on the Psalms uh, because I'm finding inspiration for myself as well as to pass along to other people. But before we get into the Psalms, I want to talk about another passage. Uh, and this is just one of many that sometimes frustrate me. Have, have you ever seen that verse from Jeremiah chapter 29? It's It's verse 11. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, if you're a Christian, you can't miss it. We put it on posters. We put it on coffee mugs. We put it on t-shirts. It's one of those favorite verses of Christians because it makes us feel so good about what's happening in our lives that God has plans to prosper us. It's funny how often we grab hold of verses that sound great. Uh, They sound great in one way, but we really don't understand the context of the verse. Now, I have heard Jeremiah 29, 11 quoted um, and used to teach about how God wants his people to live uh, these wondrously prosperous lives, to uh, take them out of tough times. And, and, and I think when I hear that, I say, do you not know the context, the historical context, the situation that led Jeremiah to actually write these words? As I begin this message, I, I want to look at the context of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. You know, God's people had been unfaithful. So God would at times bring discipline into the lives of his people. And most often he would do this by using some foreign nation to come and to oppress the people of God so that they would eventually realize what they'd done. And they would then repent. They would call out to God, asking him to be faithful to his promise and then to ask him to bring them deliverance. And he would do so. Now, Jeremiah was one of these prophets that God would use to speak to his people. He was like the uh, the shofar, the the trumpet that God would blow. He, it was Jeremiah was a, a mouthpiece of God, and uh, God wanted Jeremiah to warn the people of impending punishment for their sin, for their waywardness. Now, Jeremiah was prophesying at a time when God's people, well, this time they just had not obeyed the Sabbath rules. Um, Every seven years, they were to let their fields rest, okay? And they had not done this. And they had not done this for like a, a cycle of, I don't know, 70 years or something like that. And and because they had neglected this rule for some time, not allowing the, the land to rest, God decided to step in and force a Sabbath rest, as he does sometimes in our own lives when we don't take a Sabbath rest. But he decided to step in and force a Sabbath rest for the land, um, since the people wouldn't give the land any rest, God said, okay, fine, I'm going to take you away from the land. And I'm going to take you away from the land for 70 years, since you missed 70 of these cycles. Okay, And I'm going to give the land 70 years rest, in correspondence to the years that you neglected to obey me in this regard. And the way I'm going to give it rest is I'm going to take you away from it. And so he raised up Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon to the east. 
to come in, to overthrow the city, to tear down the, the, the walls and the temple, and then to take God's people into exile. And for 70 years, God's people lived in exile. For 70 years, they did not live in the land that God had promised to give them. For 70 years, that land stood uncultivated before they could ever have a chance to rebuild. Now, God wanted Jeremiah to go in and bring a particular message to the the people. First of all, he was to foretell of this overthrow as Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army would come in and, and, and take away God's people. And and the message was a warning that there was going to be an exile that God's people would experience. But then, in the midst of all of this, in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, we read that there was a prophet, a false prophet that showed up, a guy named Hananiah, and he was presuming to speak for God, and he told the people, hey, don't worry. You know, I know that the Babylonians have taken us into captivity, but in two years, in two years, God's going to break the yoke of oppression. It's going to take Babylon down. Now, of course, that was not what God had said. God had said, I have ordained 70 years for my people. Hananiah said, oh, no, it's just going to be two years. And this was music to the people's ears. This is something that was encouraging to them. They, they, They liked his message. But it was a lie. So God responded, uh, not so, Hananiah, not so. I I told my people I have decreed 70 years of exile, and it's not going to be one year shorter. And because Hananiah lied in the name of the Lord, God punished Hananiah by wiping him off the face of the earth. It was then that God gave Jeremiah chapter 29. He gave Jeremiah this message to give to the people. Don't listen to Hananiah. You better get comfortable right where you are because you're going to be in exile for a very, very long time. And you better pray that good things happen to the nation of Babylon because that's where you're going to be living. And so if it goes well for Babylon, then it will go well for you. And then, and then the message was after those 70 years of that time out in the naughty chair, essentially, Once those 70 years are done, then, God says, I will bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So there it is. But do you see, it's not necessarily all rosy that that, that we think it is. The context of this message in chapter 29, verse 11, is actually God telling his people, no, you're going to stay in Babylon for quite some time. I am, I am in the middle of disciplining you, and I will continue this discipline. And then, when I am done disciplining you, then I will restore you. Now, what this means for the people of God is that there's going to be a tough road that God has ordained for them. The tough road is going to continue for some time before they would find relief. Now, that's not the uh, the assuring verse that a lot of believers think it is, right? So what's the point? Well, I think it's important for believers to be reminded that from time to time, the road that God has called us to walk, our journey of faith, if you will, will not always be an easy one. Sometimes there will be discipline in our lives. Sometimes there's just uh, parts of the journey that are there and they're going to be hard so that it can lift us up and build us up. 
it's not always going to be rosy or inspirational, like a short little blurb you put on a coffee mug and sell at a Christian bookstore. Often the road that God calls us to travel is an upward climb. The journey that leads us closer to him sometimes proves to be the one that stretches us, sometimes even makes us weary, especially if we're trying to do it in our own strength. Now, today's psalm that we're going to be looking at is the second psalm of a series of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. And ironically, most scholars believe that these Psalms of Ascent were actually sung by people who were returning from exile from Babylon, by the way. The Psalms of Ascent, there are 15 of them. Uh, They're numbered from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. The second psalm that we studied uh, a few weeks ago, the psalm of Chesed, you know, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, his love endures forever, Psalm 126. That's one of the psalms. And, and by the way, we, we believe that these psalms would have been used in one of two ways. In my opinion, they were probably used in both ways. First of all, knowing that there were 15 steps from the base of the temple in Jerusalem to get to the entrance. The thought is is that the Levites who ministered there in the temple would sing each one of these psalms of ascent uh, at each one of those 15 steps as they would ascend to enter into the temple. So the psalms of ascent, they're ascending into the temple. Each psalm is fairly short, but each one is focusing on a certain aspect of, of worship as you move closer into a connection with God there in the temple. But secondly, there's also this idea that it's not just the Levites that would do this, but as the exiles that were returning, as they were headed to Jerusalem to worship there in the temple, they would also sing these songs of worship as soon as they began to see the the mount that the temple is on, they would begin to sing these songs along the way. And then, because the, the ones returning from exile in Babylon would sing them, so also would subsequent generations of Jews that would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem. There were three times that uh, the Jews were required to go to Jerusalem for these uh, appointed feasts. And as these uh, out, you know, these Jews that lived outside of Jerusalem, as they were making their way to Jerusalem this, on this pilgrimage, that they would sing these like their ancestors did coming back from Babylon. They would sing these as they were making their way up, as they were ascending up to Jerusalem. Now, uh, now, what I just said might intrigue you because Scripture always says that people would make their way up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter from which direction you traveled. The city of David, Jerusalem, actually had been built up in the mountainous regions of Israel. And so elevation-wise, it was always up. As you went to Jerusalem, you never went down to Jerusalem. It was always an ascent to Jerusalem. It was always an ascent to the temple. It was always an ascent to be in God's presence, to worship him there. So the journey to worship was uphill. You had to climb the mountains, essentially, to get to the temple. And then once you got there, you had then these 15 steps that you climbed in order to enter into the temple. And again, that temple was where God's presence was represented. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I believe both of these applications of the Psalms of Ascent would be true, that the Levites would use these psalms to prepare themselves as they were going up the steps of the temple to worship there. And the people would use the psalms to prepare themselves for worship as they were making their journey, those three times a year, their pilgrimage to the holy city. The key is that it was a journey 
and an uphill journey. It was a journey to be able to have a special time of worship there in God's presence. It was an uphill climb that would build into the travelers greater strength and endurance as they moved towards the presence of the Lord. So today we're going to look at Psalm 121. If you've got your Bible, grab it. Let's go to Psalm 121. This is the second of the Psalms of Ascent. And let's see what we can learn of this journey, this sometimes uphill journey that is intended by God to lead us onward and upward to bigger and better things, as my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Haynes, would always say. Let's look at uh, the psalm. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's stop there real quick. So let me ask a question. As you just heard that, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Is the psalm is the psalmist saying that his help comes from the mountains? I lift up my eyes to the hills or to the mountains where my help comes from? I, I don't think so. I mean, that's what one translation of our English Bibles say. It makes it sound like it says. I think that this verse is actually more accurately read that the second line is a separate question. I lift up my eyes to the hills or to the mountains. And then the question comes, where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? See, I'm, I'm looking at these hills, these mountains that I must climb in order to get to the temple into Jerusalem. And as I'm considering my journey, I have to ask, well, where am I going to get help from? In other words, the mountains are not structures of security, as some might think. In fact, the mountains would have been places of potential danger. The pilgrim to Jerusalem would be traveling the same route, by the way, that the man in the parable of the Good Samaritan was traveling when he was waylaid by robbers and and, and they took everything from him. They beat him up and they left him for dead. So the mountains are not secure. They, they They would not provide refuge, but they definitely commanded your attention if you were a traveler. As you looked towards your destination, you saw the mountains. You, you could not uh, not see this hill country. You couldn't avoid it. And that might make a traveler a little wary. But the psalmist indicates that his focus is not on the mountains. Yes, my eyes look up to the mountains, but then I'm looking beyond the mountains. Because my help does not come from the mountains. My help comes from beyond the mountains. My help comes from the Lord, who is above the mountains. I wonder how often do we allow obstacles on our faith journey to dominate our view? You know, we've been sent out on this journey and we look more at, instead of the destination, we look at all the obstacles that are in our way. I wonder how often does the situation that you find yourself in this journey of faith, how often does that situation allow you to take your eyes off of your destination, the one who is really your true help. It's like the Apostle Peter, who once he saw Jesus walking on the water, wanted to do the same thing. He says, if if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. And, And he did, and he got out of the boat, and he began to walk on the water, fixing his eyes on Jesus. But the minute he took his eyes off Jesus, the minute he noticed the obstacles in his way, the waves that were crashing around him, he began to sink. To look beyond the circumstances is to understand where our help truly lies. I don't know if you've ever seen something called the magic eye or stereograms. It's it's a picture where 
It looks like a bunch of fuzz or a bunch of nonsense patterns. But if you stare at it long enough, if you actually can train your eyes to go beyond the picture, if you understand what I'm talking about, you, you don't just look at the picture. You you try to focus your, your gaze beyond the picture. All of a sudden, something happens and you begin to see an image in three dimensions. It wasn't there when you were looking at it, but things make sense once you look beyond it. That's, I think, a, a good illustration of, of what this means to lift your eyes to the mountains, but then to find out that your help lies beyond the mountains. Because the mountains might look imposing, but you got to know that there's one greater than the mountains. In fact, this is the one who created the mountains. That's why David says, or, or the psalmist says, that uh, my help comes from the Lord who made those mountains who made the heavens and the earth. The implication then is how often do we focus mainly on the rough terrain of the journey? And and by the way, whether we're talking about the entire journey of faith from the the minute we accept Jesus into our life until we finally stepped into his presence, or if we're talking about these shorter little mini journeys, if you will, that, that God sets us on at times to deepen our faith and to shape our character. Okay. How often do we focus mainly on the rough terrain rather than on the prize beyond the rough terrain? How often do we let those obstacles, the, the rough terrain, discourage us? When in reality, those obstacles were put there intentionally by God, wanting to teach us that he's bigger than those obstacles and therefore he can be trusted to get us through those difficult times. Now, the psalm says as much in the next couple of verses. He says in verses 3 and 4, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I read a story this last week of a, a poor Eastern woman who came to the Sultan one day to ask for compensation for some property that had been stolen from her. Now, the powerful sultan, who is like in charge of the land and and is the ruler of the people, he asked the woman, how did you come to lose this property? And she said, well, I fell asleep. And as I slept, a robber came and entered into my dwelling. And the sultan then rebuked the woman for her neglect and said, well, why did you fall asleep, foolish woman? And she replied, I fell asleep, sultan, because I believed you were awake. See, she trusted the sultan for justice, for protection. That was what his job was, is to stay awake and to protect her property. In the same way, the psalmist declares this trust in God's ability to be good, to protect, to stay awake, to the point that where the the terrain may be rocky at times, by him allowing us to travel in this way, it's God's intent to develop sure footing in us along the way. In this vein, I would highly recommend a book that uh, my mom read to me decades ago, probably uh, 45 years ago, I don't know, is when I first uh, heard of Hannah Hernard and her book called Hind's Feet on High Places, a title that she gets from uh, one of the uh, prophets uh, of the Old Testament as he talks about how God would make our legs, our feet, like hind's feet, 
uh, and a hind is, is a deer, a mountain deer on the high places. You watch a deer and a deer can just bound up on rocks, not a problem. The same thing like, like with mountain goats and things like that. The book is an allegory for the journey that you and I take in our faith, a journey that brings us closer to the Lord, brings us into his presence to worship, just like this journey of the ascent to, to get to the temple. The path that we take to grow closer to God is one that God uses to make us stronger, to make us more sure-footed, more like the shepherd who bounds over the mountains with swiftness and ease and longs for us to be able to do that same thing. You know, when a toddler is learning to walk, it's good that the that the, the parent, uh, well, it's a good parent who keeps their eyes fixed on the progress that the toddler is making. It's the good parent who will then remove sharp objects, for example. But it's also the good parent who knows which obstacles are actually beneficial to allow the child to learn and to grow and to become stronger. There are times when a mom or dad will go pick up a child who has fallen on his rear end, especially if he's been injured badly. But more often than not, you you know, if you're going to be a mom or dad and you watch your kid and he falls on his rear end, more often than not, I would say, whoopsie, whoopsie, whoopsie-daisy, let's get up, let's do it again. But either way, whether I'm rushing to pick up a hurt child or if I am just encouraging that child to get up and try it again, there's vigilance on the part of the parent. And in the same way, God, the psalmist says, keeps watch over the progress along the, the, the path of ascent. Now, I've said this before, but it is so true. Where God calls us, God will also make sure that we have the power to face whatever it is we have to face as we are obedient to his call. Now, the psalmist continues to speak of his vigilance. Let's look at verses 5 through 8 to, to the rest of the 5 through the end of the, uh, the, the psalm. It says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor by the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, hopefully you heard a word that I kept saying there. There are six times in this psalm that the psalmist uses a Hebrew word, shamar. Shamar means to keep. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord keeps you. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will keep your life. He will keep your coming and going both now and forevermore. Six times that word to keep, shamar. The message of this 2,500-year-old psalm is that even through the uphill climb, God will keep you. God will preserve you. That even a 70-year exile can be seen in a positive light because what you're going through is going to be used by God to build into you what is needed. In other words, he's going to walk you onward and upward to bigger and better things because he cares. And though it might be uncomfortable, we must remember that God is often more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. Now, let me take a few moments here to point out to you three things as we wrap up this psalm study. Three things about our journeys, okay? Number one, God is never caught off guard. 
As somebody once said, it, it just occurred to me that nothing ever just occurs to God. It just occurred to me that nothing ever just occurs to God. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. Not skinned knees, not parking tickets, not dashed hopes, not cancer, not marital issues, not financial setbacks, not even the occasional day at work when nothing goes wrong. Nothing surprises God. Nothing ever catches your God by surprise because your God never sleeps and never slumbers. He's always on guard. He's never caught off guard, though it might be kind of creepy to think of a person like that. Ultimately, this means that when we wake up, guess what? God is right there watching over us. God is never caught off guard. Number two, God can use all things for his ultimate purpose. Now, many of us have Romans 8, 28 memorized. And we know that in all things that God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. You know, there's a book by Eugene Peterson, a book about discipleship. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And though it's about discipleship, actually Peterson takes the Psalms of Ascent and he fleshes them out as <clears throat> as he talks about discipleship. There's a quote that he has in this particular, when he's talking about Psalm 121, he says, the promise of this Psalm. And then he says, and both... Hebrews and Christians have always read the psalm this way. The promise of the psalm is that not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. In fact, God will actually use those things for his purpose. There are times where what I see as my path doesn't seem good doesn't seem right to me. For instance, again, uh, going back to the book Hind's Feet on High Places, the shepherd that the main character wants to follow appoints traveling companions for her. And these two figures would accompany this gal on the journey to the high places as she's developing Hind's Feet, even though she begins the journey as a cripple. But as the shepherd introduces these two companions he tells the main character their names, and he calls them sorrow and suffering. And at learning those names, the main character becomes distraught and begs the shepherd to have different companions for her. And yet the shepherd asks, do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to pick out the right traveling companions for you? And though the main character still expresses reluctance, she submits because she knows that the shepherd loves her. And as the story continues, you realize that these companions actually are the perfect companions to accompany her journey because they teach her things that she could never have learned on her own. God will use sorrow and suffering to bring about his ultimate purpose as well. And he will work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Now, circling back to Jeremiah 29, 11, through the prophet, God was telling his people that there was a process in place. There was a journey that had been appointed for them. Now, it was a journey that included discipline, but it was a journey where they were going to be learning how to obey God better, to trust more in his ways rather than on their own wisdom. There was an ultimate victory in store for them. Again, plans to prosper them and to give them a hope and a future. But before that, 
the plan was for them to be going through some rough roads, some obstacles that God would use. He would use to shape their character, to make them more into the people that he had designed them to be. So as we encounter obstacles on our faith journey, we must come to a place where we also can trust that our shepherd knows what's best, and he will work together for the good of all who are on that pathway to accomplish his purposes. Finally, I want you to see that God is ever over us. He is ever over us. As we consider his ever faithful watch, we must not make this common mistake. You know, when illness comes, when anxiety threatens, when conflict disturbs our relationship, the mistake is to conclude that God has somehow gotten bored with us and he's turned his attention to something else, something more exciting, a, a better Christian, if you will. You know, in the musical Fiddler on the Roof, I've I've been able to play uh, the main character, Tevye, twice in my life, and I'm hoping to do it again uh, soon. But Tevye, the main character, has several conversations throughout the whole play. He has several conversations with God. In one scene, as Tevye is talking to God, he's mentioning to God uh, his son-in-law, a, a tailor named Motel, who had married his daughter, Seidel. And Motel has this desire to get a newly invented sewing machine to help in his work. Now, this is obviously back in the early 1900s or the late 1800s. I think it's 1900s. Anyway, so, you know, this is a newfangled thing, a sewing machine, and 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 Mottel wants it very badly so that he could provide better for his family. And so Tevye is having this conversation with God and says, you know, I know you're very busy, God. Wars and revolutions, floods and plagues, all those little things that bring people to you. But couldn't you take a second from your catastrophes and get it for him? How hard could that be? You know, Tevye thought that a sewing machine might be too small for God to care about. And yet he has the boldness to say, but would you please do this? The truth is that God cares about anything that we care about. The Bible tells us that not one hair of our head can fall without God knowing about it. And so as we come, as we go, we are safe. We are secure and protected and enriched because we know that his care is sufficient for us because he is ever over us. He does not sleep. He does not slumber. He watches us. He's vigilant in where he leads us, down whatever path that he leads us that will allow us to journey closer to him. He is ever over us, watching us, encouraging us, helping us through the power of his Holy Spirit to be successful. Because again, as we looked at uh, in the 23rd Psalm, because that's what brings him pleasure when we are brought into his presence. Now, there are some of us listening to this message today who are feeling the difficulty of a journey of ascent right now. You're on this journey and it's getting hard. You see the mountainous region and maybe that makes you fearful. Maybe it just wears you out. Your eyes are still on the obstacles rather than on the one who is leading you through the obstacles. So as we close this message, I want to invite you to consider being honest with God, to go to him in prayer, so spend some time with him after listening to this podcast, and, and pray that God would strengthen you as he has called you onward and upward. Because it's his pleasure that you continue your way up the mountain towards his temple, because that's where his presence is in your life. And so I am confident that as you pray, God will be faithful in responding. And he will continue his watch over your journey, your ascent, and he will keep you from all harm, both now and forevermore. All right. Well, that's the uh, 
That's the study of Psalm 121, the second of the Psalms of Ascent. May God bless you as you continue to seek the path, even though it's an upward path. May he continue to give you strength for the journey. I want to thank you for uh, tuning in. I want to thank uh, Lisa Welly for producing this, uh, Steve Pittman, uh, my uh, technical director. And uh, thank uh, I just thank God for giving us this uh, this platform to be able to uh, spread the gospel uh, to those who are tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>